Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar de Huello. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today, Dr. Andrew Michaels is confronted by a danger that is surprisingly personal. If the threat is headed directly for you, it's much easier to find. But how do you keep everyone around you safe? Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. Welcome. If you joined us last week, we had a strange cryptid, a humanoid-like creature. Maybe he was a man. Maybe he was just a strange man. That went by the moniker of Stretch. He had been tormenting an area for well over a hundred years, and he was always the strangest of peeping toms. He got caught many times trying to frighten, expose himself to women and children, frightening them in the middle of the night, laughing at them, mocking them. He was a strange character, six foot nine, nude, head to toe, a frightening image in your bedroom at night screaming and shaking his arms, frightening you, rattling your bed, tormenting you. I never thought I would run into this character, and I was with my family and co-workers on a small retreat, and we ran into him. It climaxed with us cornering him on a covered bridge. The bridge itself blocking his escape in many directions, and my assistant blocking one entrance with a glass kerosene lamp. I blocked the other entrance with a flashlight and a garden rake. Eventually, he caught fire from the lamp. The bridge itself nearly burned down and had to be restored. We thought that was where the story ended, and we all went back to Chicago to the Department of Navy Special Services and just continued in our routine daily lives. About three months after that trip, I got a strange visit from Chicago PD they wanted me to come down to their office right away. The chief wanted to talk to me inside the precinct house. It was not something we could discuss openly in my office or among my co-workers. They sent a car for me, and I obliged. After all, the city of Chicago has always been very gracious to us, opening up their city to our strange department that investigates every odd thing that can possibly happen in the United States and abroad. They've had to put up with a lot of problems over the years, and today was no different. 
They took me into the office and they told me that they had a serial killer on the loose. This serial killer was targeting middle-aged women. Some of them were killed in their bedrooms. Some of them were killed in their cars, their vans. It always seemed to happen around when they dropped the children off for school. The woman was alone, and she would be found with singe marks, minor burns around the neck, different parts of her body. Some of her clothing had been burned. The inside of the car would have burn marks, yet the entire car itself was not burned. And the women didn't die from fire. They died from suffocation. Almost every woman looked like she was being strangled or was in the attempt of being strangled, but they expired from being suffocated, a lack of oxygen in the room. Something had enveloped the area around the woman. One woman died in her bed, and there were some singe marks on the sheets and the comforter and on her clothing. But the strangest thing was it was like somebody put a plastic bag over the bed, burned a small fire inside the bag, took all the oxygen out, strangled her, and she suffocated. And then they removed the bag. The fire extinguished. There was no signs that the fire was retarded, that somebody had used some kind of chemical agent or water to stop the fire. It just went out along with her suffocating. So whatever took the oxygen out of the room to impede the fire and the spread of it also killed the woman. And it wasn't a direct, it was not an accident. It was a direct attempt to kill her. There were burn marks and bruises and strangulation marks around the woman's neck. Most of the women fought back. They struggled. They had taken samples and they passed them on to my lab. I was asking if I could see the results of that, and they said they hadn't been in yet, and they would be glad to forward them to us for our own investigation and our own analysis. I said, well, this all sounds interesting. Why am I here? Besides the fact that the case is strange, why exactly am I here? They said, this is why, and they walked over to a small chalkboard that it was covered with paper. And they lifted the paper up over the top of the chalkboard, and I realized why I was asked to attend this meeting. All the ladies looked very much like my executive assistant. They had a map right beside the pictures of the female victims, and it was an area around the offices that I worked in. Whoever this was was targeting women leaving my office and women that looked just like my co-workers.
my assistant. I took one look at all the evidence. I took it all in. I, I shook my head and I saw that uh, there were some pretty angry looks my way. I had brought a murderer to town. It's never your responsibility if somebody else kills somebody. It's You can't stop them. But I felt the responsibility weighing me down immediately. Somehow I caused this. I screwed up. I got busy going over the files. Going over the street addresses. Talking to every officer that did a report. Making sure if there were any eyewitnesses or who discovered the body, who did you talk to, what did they see, what, 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 was, what, was, what was going on around the scene. And there was nothing, no witnesses, no nothing. One witness saw what looked like the one car, a van, was on fire from the inside out. So he went in to report the fire on his phone. When he came back out, the car was just a smoldering mess. He approached it and found the woman dead. There was no signs of entry or broken windows or any other problem with the car. He tried to revive the woman, pulling her out, pushing her body away from the car, and then trying to do CPR. He failed in his attempt, but he might have given us a clue. The car was not locked. The woman had just gotten in. She had literally died with the keys of her car around the ring of her finger. She had scratched up her assailant with those keys. That might give us our best evidence possible. She died with ashes on her lips ashes in her mouth. Whatever this thing was that killed her, she had fought violently. The fight had extended to the point where she things had burned far enough along that there was ashes in the air and she breathed them in. They got caught up in her mouth, in her clothing, her cover, clothing covered in a black soot. But the lining of the car was the one thing. It did have burn damage, but not a lot. It was almost like somebody filled the car up with a balloon and then took it out. The police had an idea. A minivan, a female officer that looked a lot like my assistant, and two diminutive police officers that they used for drug raids, and they looked young. They could pretend to be young men wanting to buy drugs. They would have them in the back seat. Maybe they could lure this person in. He seemed to be always looking around schoolyards, so if it looked like a woman dropping off her kids, maybe he would go for it. I said, under no circumstances can this happen unless she has a way of getting out of the car, windows down, popping the windows, something because whatever's causing this fire it doesn't take long for the woman to suffocate so she has to be able to react quickly 
So automatic windows that could would go down instantly at the press of a button helped soothe my concerns. She would at least have oxygen feeding into the car, if that would help the, her case. And, of course, she would have an officer tucked down in the back of the van, behind the seats, two sitting up behind her, looking like children. It might work. This sting operation went on for two or three nights, to no avail. I was always parked in an alley with a couple of goons with me, the biggest officers the department could provide. They smelled awful. Their body flatulence was just unbelievable in the car we were sitting in. They ate copious amounts of donuts and fast food and drank coffee one glass after another, and it just smelled so awful. They thought it was funny to relieve themselves in the street of the alley. I really wasn't in the mood. They thought there was something wrong with me because I didn't want to just pal around and be one of the guys, but I just wasn't in the mood for some locker room banner. I guess I am getting a little bit fidgety in my old age. I didn't want to sit in a car all night waiting for this to happen, waiting for somebody to get hurt because of what I had done or not done. So instead of relieving myself in the alley like a good boy... I was going to be a gentleman and walk up to the donut shop further along up the street. I made it about halfway there when the attack came in. The officers pulled up beside me. Get in, get in, just get in. I, of course, did what they commanded and jumped into the car. They pulled out before I even got the door shut. We were on our way to the scene. She had been attacked. Whatever it was, attacked. We got there. The car was a smoldering, burning wreck. The female officer was on her hands and knees. She was alive. She was okay. But she had taken some damage. She was coughing and had obviously had thrown up the contents of her stomach. The two officers in the back seat were also alive. Weapons still drawn. Panic struck. The officer curled up in the back of the van. Must have seen the worst of it. He was laying on the street. His clothes tattered, burned in spots. He looked a right mess, and he also was unconscious. It was a horrible scene. Whatever this was, stumbled into a car with four officers in it, fought them, and escaped. I knew that without even being told at the scene what had happened. As I walked up, everything was explained, every movement, every action, some large humanoid thing slipped right through the crack of the door like a piece of paper like a snake scrawling up between the crack of the door how it fit through they couldn't figure out it blew up into the side of the van like a balloon filling the entire area the female officer was quick enough to lower the windows which only made things worse as the thing expanded into the area everything caught on fire the whole car enveloped in flames. It was like being inside a burning helium balloon. They opened up the car doors and stumbled out every which direction. 
the officer in the back couldn't reach the pull lever to get out the back and took the worst of it. Shots were fired to no avail. Whatever this thing was, this humanoid shape covered in flames, screaming, squelching, yelling, it left the van out one of the open windows and the back latch was then opened and the officer pulled out. He was unconscious and barely alive. He couldn't escape and almost suffocated in the tight confinement of the inside of the vehicle. It was clear now what had happened. Whatever this thing was, it would enter in the seam of a car door, enter into the seam of the trunk, ride home with you, enter through the seam of a window. We were dealing with Stretch. We were dealing with Stretch, but he was on fire. When he used his powers, he would burst into flames before he could react and commit to revenge on his human victim. He would suffocate then, his powers out of control, swelling and swelling until it filled up the whole area. It was clear to me now who we were dealing with and what we were dealing with. The officers assured me they had fired several rounds into the creature, and they did repel him, but it didn't look like they killed him. They said he became normal, corporeal. The smoke and the flames vanished, and he was a normal human being with hair and everything, but still nude. He ran away down the street. They followed. He got close to a building and just disappeared. I told them, well, with the powers that he has, he might have jumped down into a sewer drain. He might have hid behind a door somewhere in the building that he passed. He could have went anywhere. Did you search the building? Yes. Was he there? No. Was there a sewer drain nearby? Yes. Did you check it? No. Upon checking the sewer drain, there were slight little bits of ash on the ladder of the sewer entrance. We had our exit route. Well, he's long gone now. There's nothing we can do except care for the victims and try to figure this out. I had an officer go with me into the building that he had walked by. I said, it's, it's quite possible he could have went in there, even though he went down the sewer. Maybe he's watching us. So let's go to the roof and look around. Maybe we can see him somewhere down below. So he took searchlights up to the roof of the building and searched all around. Nothing. Wherever he had went, he wasn't anywhere close to where we were. It's frustrating, but this is how normally things go. I told the officers the only thing I could think of is I want to go back to my office. I have an idea. I might have something that can help me capture him. So if the officers that had been on a stakeout with me could accompany me back to my offices, I would like them to go up and help me carry something down from my office. It's kind of large. I think it might fit in their trunk. They agreed. And we took a police van just in case, and the two officers went along with me in their car. 
they accompanied me to the Department of Navy Special Services and I used my pass key to get in, took all the policemen with me and we went up to my office. I fiddled with some paperwork and told them I'll get right to it and I gave them a strange-looking device on a desk, and I said, please take that down and put it in the van. It was heavy enough for two men to carry. I thought that would keep them busy for a few minutes while I worked out the rest of my plan. You see, I told you earlier in last episode, sometimes I can see things. I can't unsee them. Once I'm made aware of something, I can't unsee it. Whether it's evil, supernatural, or extraterrestrial, my eyes won't let me not see it. And I saw a stretch entering the car that I had traveled in. He slipped right between the officers, up out of a sewer drain that was right near my car, slithered right along the ground like a snake, like a ghost, like a spirit with no body. Smoldering as he was, it gave away a slow glow, and everybody missed it. It was only for a second. As he slid across the ground, he entered the crack between the edges of the trunk space. He was in my car. Why didn't I say something then? I needed to get him as far away from everyone as I possibly could. I had a plan. If I was right, it would prevent a lot of deaths. And it would also give me a chance to get him to talk. I needed to know where he came from, what he was up to. I needed to know what he was about. And I couldn't do that in a gunfight in the middle of the street after four officers were hurt. I had to get him away from everyone first. I heard a little noise behind me, a little... laugh. Or a drawl. Or just somebody breathing in the hiss of some ancient serpent waiting to be noticed in the bushes. I turned and said, I'm sorry. Whatever happened back in Ohio, I'm sorry. I'm sorry my assistant did that. I'm sorry I did that to you. Do you want to talk? Before me was a six-foot-nine man smoldering slightly, wanting to envelop me in the room, but holding himself back. The anger in his face was visible. He was furious. He wanted to kill me. My apology caught him off guard. The fact that I didn't fight back, I just turned around. In fact, I undid my weapons and laid them on my desk and sat down folded my arms. I'm serious. I think we should talk. He looked at me, 
and he tried to speak. I could feel the words more than I could hear the words. He was a scientist in the 19th century. He was trying to invent an invisibility potion. He had read the book, The Invisible Man, and thought it was possible to do such a thing. He was using different isotopes, chemicals, elixirs, trying to find the perfect one to turn his body translucent. When he realized he had failed, he had turned himself into a literal Indian rubber man, someone who could fit through cracks and doors, stretch his body into contorted shapes that were impossible to imagine. He could flatten himself out like a piece of paper, like a carpet in a room. He could make himself very thin, small, and wiry, or very large, very big, fill up the volume of a room like a balloon. It amazed him, but there was a drawback. He had to be totally nude. When he would stretch and contort, his clothes would rip and tear off his body anyway. They didn't have his powers, so they didn't work. He decided to indulge himself like the man in the Invisible Man book did. And spy on women, spy on young ladies, take his perversion out on everyone around him. It was exhilarating to have control over victims, frighten them, scare them. He always got away. Nobody could capture him. Nobody could follow him. He, he was so fast, so quick. He could travel across the ground quicker than a normal man. He felt like there was power curse coursing through him like a god. Until that night, that farmer attacked him, stabbed him with that pitchfork, put holes in his body. It hurt him. It made him weak. It seemed his body didn't like to heal. Whenever he got wounded, it just lingered. It just stuck with him. When I raked him with the yard rake, near the end of my battle with him, he was furious. It was like somebody had just ripped the skin from his body. And it wouldn't heal. I could still see the marks all over him. And then she torched him. My assistant broke the lamp and caused a fire. The fire caught him on the legs and engulfed his whole body in flames. We thought he burned up, but in reality he just popped back into a normal shape and fell through the cracks of the bridge that had burned. We didn't see that he had fallen into the water below, that he had drifted down the river, put out by the water. He was miserable, burnt, hurt, harmed, beyond repair. Every time he used his powers, he would flame up like a candle. The chemicals, the elixirs that drove through his body, acted like a wick, feeding the flames. He couldn't shut them off. Nothing worked. He could douse himself in water, which weakened him, which allowed his powers to ebb. It seemed to wash the powers out of his body for a very short time, and he could be normal a little, normal sometimes. But once he dry, dried out 
and once he used his powers again, the flames would wick back up again. He was eternally a flaming candle, and he was furious. He couldn't sneak in the houses anymore. He would catch things on fire. He could, couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't enjoy his perversion any further. People would see him. He glowed like a will-of-a-wisp. And everybody could see him from miles away until he turned his powers off, doused himself with a little bit of water. That's why he would always go down into the sewers to get himself wet. He stunk so terribly from this process. He'd been in Chicago for a while, and he was covered in fecal matter and sewage. He was furious with me. He wanted to kill me and just get it over with. I told him, there might be a way for me to help him. There might be a way for me to cure him. He said, no, the only thing he wanted to do is is exact his revenge and kill me and then kill my assistant. Kill her whole family and mine. I told him, I can't allow that. And he laughed at me. He said, what are you going to do? I'll fill this whole room up my body and suffocate you right out. My hands are on your neck while you die, watching the life come out of your body and into my hands. I will see you dead, Dr. Andrew Michaels, was the last thing he said as he started to expand, as he expand his, expanded his voice box, his lungs. The words forming from his lips didn't work anymore. It turned into jibber-jabbering nonsensical sounds. He expanded, and as he did, the flames started to erupt from his body. I didn't move an inch. I wasn't scared of him at all, even as his hands approached my face. I reached up, and just in the nick of time, I grabbed his stretched-out wrists before they went around my neck. He couldn't understand me trying to hold on to him, flaming up as he was, and that's when he realized... I had set a trap for him. Right in that second, the sprinkler system above him burst into action. The room completely covered in water. His powers, his powers erased. He shrank back down to a normal man, me holding him by the wrists. Oh, he was strong, strong for a man of six foot nine. But with his powers ebbing, he became weak very weak, and he fell to the floor, flattened out like a puddle in the water pooling on the ground. He laid there, gasping, trying to get out of the water, weakened from being hit by water twice in one night. I walked over and found a piece of cardboard from a packing box and I scraped him up into a pile. I rolled him through the water up into a ball, and I shoved him down into the top of a half-used five-gallon water jug for the water cooler. Then I found a cap for the water cooler, and I jammed it on top. He was sloshing around in there like an oversized goldfish, furious, thrashing, tapping the plastic edges 
of the water bottle, completely trapped, weakened, unable to escape. Water would seep into the pores of his body, extinguish his powers, make him useless, weak, tired. He couldn't move. He was immobile. All he could do was gasp for air. Through the top of the jug was a small hole for air. I jammed a straw into it so that I knew he had access to fresh air. Eventually he might be able to escape, but not tonight. The water shut off when the fire department showed up. They turned off the alarms and reset the system. The police who had came eventually showed up. The alarm brought them running very quickly. I said, there's your murderer. He's in that jug. One officer took one look at the messy, messy-looking human inside. It didn't even look real. It looked like some kind of human birth gone wrong. One glance at it, and the officer trained, and someone experienced this himself. I was surprised to see him throw up. Maybe it was the bad donuts he had ate that night, but it was disgusting to see. I told them I had some holding cells. If they could help me get him to them, I would greatly appreciate it. We had to make sure that while we transported him, we folded over the top of the straw so that he didn't escape out the top. The officers obliged and helped me carry him to our holding cell area. There we put him in a stasis cube, somewhere where he couldn't escape. And in that moment I dumped out the contents of the jug onto the ground. He sloshed all over the floor into a puddle. I left him there in the water, some towels to dry himself off, and I walked outside and reset the stasis of the holding cell. Stretch, you better get used to this room. You're going to be here for a while. Don't worry, you're going to be afforded all the rights of anybody else charged with a crime. We'll get you an attorney and you'll have a fair trial. We'll let you rest until you get yourself back to normal. I do suggest you don't try to escape. The only thing you're going to do is knock yourself out. There's no way out of this energy stasis. He couldn't talk. He couldn't speak at all. Several days went by before he was able to talk. And when he was, I went to see him. He refused to speak with me. He refused to speak to his attorney. They said every night he tried to get out. And every night he failed. But he was probing, constantly probing the room. It was like watching a snake tapping the glass of an aquarium. I started to leave, and I heard him speak. He said it is just like a snake tapping the glass of an aquarium. Dr. Andrew Michaels. He was in my mind. We're not done with this yet, 
he said. You and I, we are not done with this yet. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoyed this adventure. I have several new cryptid and supernatural entity stories coming up, and I hope you'll keep joining me every week. I'm having so much fun telling you all these secret stories and files from my work in the Department of Navy Special Services. Until I see all of you again, please have a most blessed day, and remember, be careful, stay safe. I'm always here to help you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tierra de Huello. Remember to stay tuned for the next episode, coming soon. When you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review this podcast. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuello at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.